This morning is the first installment of our study of major themes from the book of Proverbs, and it will be a thematic study, not a verse-by-verse study. And the central theme of the entire book of Proverbs is wisdom. So that's where we're going to start. Now, in case you've been gone for a while, I'll uh, point out once again that we're going to be interspersing uh, messages from Proverbs with the messages on New Testament principles, that we're, that series that we're calling the Beautification of the Bride. And there's a method to our madness in that. Uh, after we examine a given topic in that New Testament principle series, we want to have a few weeks to talk about putting that issue to action, about what possible changes and actions we need to, to consider as a body. And so the Proverbs study gives us some time in between to think through all that. That doesn't make the Proverbs study less important. Um, but that's, I wanted you to understand that that's, uh, that's why we're going to be pursuing two series simultaneously, which we don't normally do. All right, let's dive into the book of Proverbs. This is a book packed with words of wisdom that directly impact our lives, our relationships, and our usefulness to God. I want to start with a a few questions. How much time and energy and effort do you put into being really good at the job that you get paid to do? How much time and energy and effort do you invest in in your hobby, in something that you like to do? How about in physical exercise? How about in shopping online or otherwise? How about in the pursuit of entertainment? Now, how much time and energy and effort do you invest in knowing God? The way you answer that last question, especially relative to the others, will answer another foundational question. Are you wise Or are you foolish? As we examine just a sampling of the many statements in the book of Proverbs on the subject of wisdom this morning, we're going to begin by defining wisdom as the Bible defines it. In the first six verses of the book, King Solomon explains the value of the many Proverbs that he is about to write to his own son. And those Proverbs of Solomon make up a good portion of the book. Solomon, in these first six verses, starts with wisdom, and then he amplifies that idea by looking at wisdom from several different angles or facets. Understanding, instruction, knowledge, discernment, discretion, prudence. Wisdom is a tool set. It is that which allows us to understand the things that we encounter and to live and behave in a just, righteous, and godly manner. Many years ago, a brother in Christ shared with me a very concise definition of wisdom that I'll never forget. He said, wisdom is moral skill. And to me, a little more specific, wisdom is the skill to live in keeping with who God is. Now, how, uh, how do you get the skill to live in keeping with the person, the character of God? Well, first you have to know God. 
You can't imitate someone you don't know. You cannot reflect the nature and the character and the will and the way and the priorities and the agenda of God if you don't personally know God. The Proverbs tells us that the heart of wisdom is to know God personally. We're going to look a lot at this little verse, Proverbs 9, verse 10. Solomon says in this verse, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, a very handy thing to know when you're working through Proverbs is to understand that that most by far, most of the verses in Proverbs are arranged as what are called parallel couplets. That means the first half of each verse is matched up with the second half and they're parallel and they talk about the same thing. Now they may talk about the same thing in much the same way. That's called synonymous parallelism or they may talk about the same thing in a way that, that contrasts where the second one is sort of the other side. Uh, This is very, very common, not just in Proverbs, but also in other wisdom literature. Now, an example, a quick example of of that contrast, which we call antonymous parallelism, would be Proverbs 10.4. It says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Both halves are talking about what a man does with his hands, the work that he does. But there's a contrast. The first is what happens when a man works diligently, and or is when a, when a man works negligently or with laziness, and the second is what happens when a man works diligently. And the, the outcome is very different. Poverty versus riches. Proverbs 9 verse 10 is, is an example of the first kind of parallelism, synonymous parallelism. The word understanding in the second line is synonymous with the word wisdom in the first line. In fact, those two words are used almost interchangeably throughout the book of Proverbs. So the two lines are both talking about wisdom, but they're talking about two facets of wisdom. The first tells us the starting point or the beginning of the process of obtaining wisdom. And the second line tells us what wisdom is in its very essence. Now we're going to revisit the first line of that verse in just a moment. But because we're, ne- we're starting with the definition of wisdom, let's look first at that, at that second line. It says, the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. It is wisdom. The very essence, the very heart of wisdom is to know God. And that lines up very well with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.21 when he says the world through its version of wisdom did not come to know God. And that's the proof that it's counterfeit wisdom. Because the knowledge of God is the very essence of wisdom. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul makes that same connection in his prayer for the saints in Ephesus. He says, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. To know God is to be wise. All right, so the heart of wisdom is to know God personally. And the starting point to getting wisdom is to fear God. We'll go back to that same verse, Proverbs 9.10. The first half of it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That exact same half verse is at the beginning of Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot know God and become wise if you do not first fear God. What, is it, what does it mean to fear God? Well, it's obviously a pretty important question to answer since that's the launch pad for becoming wise. If you don't have a good fix on what the Bible means when it talks about the fear of God, it might be helpful to you to go to the communitybible.org website and listen to the audio of a message called The Fear That Attracts. I don't generally try to pitch my own messages, but I have to tell you that that message represents what I consider to be one of the most foundational things that I have ever seen in God's Word. And that is, in a nutshell, that the fear of God as the Bible presents it is knowing that God is the source of all true harm and of all real good and acting accordingly. I'll say that again. The fear of God in Scripture is knowing that God is the source of all real harm and of all real good and acting accordingly. When an appropriate fear of God is rightly combined with humble submission to God, with a response that honors Him as God and trusts in that which He declares to be true, that fear attracts us to God. It draws us near to Him. We don't flee from Him. We flee toward Him because He is the greatest, in fact, the only source of genuine good. So what fundamental change does God have to bring about in a person in order for him or her to start along the path that leads to real wisdom? The answer is godly fear. God has to bring a man or a woman to the point of humility before Him, to the righteous fear that looks to God as the only source of blessing, truth, and wisdom. That godly fear applies very directly to how men obtain genuine wisdom. And I'll refer back again, as I have often, to Romans chapter 1, to the grievous failure that brought about the spiritual demise of mankind. That failure was, at its very core, a failure to fear God. God had revealed Himself to man through that which has been made. Clearly, He had revealed Himself as the fearsome, awesome, sovereign, and all-powerful Creator of all things. The one to whom all honor is due. But men had no fear of God. 
rather than falling down before the one who is the, the, the only source of truth and wisdom and blessing. Men saw themselves as the arbiters of truth and wisdom, and they looked around in creation to find blessing. They suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, professing to be wise. They became fools. They did not fear God. The one who fears God cries out to God and says, God, there is no wisdom except your wisdom. There is no truth except your truth. I desperately need you to tell me what's true. And until you do, I cannot know it. That's the response of the one who fears God. And that fear that brings us to our knees in humility before God is the beginning, the starting point for getting wisdom. If you consider yourself wise with a wisdom that you have obtained from any source other than the very words of God, then your fear is misplaced and you will continue to be deluded by your own foolishness until you repent of it and look for wisdom that can come only from God. Now, there's a very interesting that, thing that happens with this connection between the fear of God, the knowledge of God, and the pursuit of wisdom in Proverbs. Because in chapter 2, Solomon declares that the pursuit of wisdom ends exactly where it began. He says, My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now, how can it be that the starting point to getting wisdom is also the outcome of getting wisdom? <laughs> well, that's what my brother Kerry Dula calls a feedback loop. And this is perhaps the greatest feedback loop of all. You start to obtain wisdom by fearing God. You become wise by knowing God. And the more wisdom you get, the more you fear God and the better you know God. It's a self-perpetuating process once you get in the thick middle of it. All right, so the heart of wisdom is to know God. The starting point to getting wisdom is to fear God. Now let's talk about the source of wisdom, which of course is God. It sounds like a no-brainer, to say the source of wisdom is God. But it has huge ramifications for how we order our lives and our priorities. In the very last verse of his epistle to the Romans, Paul said, To God alone wise, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. God alone wise. Solomon in Proverbs 2.6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Now Solomon knew this to be the case firsthand. Not long after he became king over Israel and his father David passed away, God appeared to Solomon in a, dr in a dream and said to him, Solomon, ask me what you want me to give you. 
Solomon could have asked for anything. But what he asked God to give him is an understanding heart to discern between good and evil. And he said, For who is able to judge this great people of yours? 1 Kings 3, verse 9. God was pleased with Solomon's choice of requests. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one arise like you after you. (laughs) And interestingly, God then goes on to tell Solomon, oh, by the way, I also gave you what you didn't ask for. I've given you riches and honor beyond that of any other king. The very wisdom that equipped Solomon to write Proverbs that we're going to be examining for a long time to come came directly from God as a gracious gift. And that is the only source from which any man obtains wisdom. It comes from God because wisdom originates only in God. And so in the New Testament, James likewise says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then he says, But make sure you ask in faith. Wisdom is an attribute of God. It is inherent in who He is, not just in what He does. And that's true, of course, of all of God's attributes. Holiness, righteousness, compassion, love, mercy, grace, justice. For you who have walked with the Lord for a long time, and especially you who have examined God's Word for a long time, this point is, again, kind of a no-brainer. All true wisdom comes from God alone. But the world's take on this is as removed from that reality as it can possibly be. And it's important for us to be keenly aware of that fact so we know where to look for wisdom and where not to look for it. The world rejects the only source of wisdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, For the word of the cross is... To those who were perishing, foolishness. But to us who were being saved, it is the power of God. And he says, for it is written, God speaking, says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And a few verses later, He says, but to those of us who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The world calls the wisdom that comes from God, the wisdom that's embodied in Jesus Christ, foolishness. And what the world calls calls wisdom, God calls foolishness. The unbelieving world has its definitions of wisdom and foolishness exactly backward. And there's a saying I've heard many times from Christians that all truth is God's truth. And kind of a corollary to that is all wisdom is God's wisdom. 
In other words, even if we encounter truth and wisdom from sources in the world other than God, there's still truth and wisdom. They just came from God indirectly. Now, I have no problem with that statement if you're talking about what we observe of the nature and the character of God in his creation. God says in Romans 1, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen through that which has been made, so that when men reject God, they are without excuse. But if you're talking about wisdom and truth that supposedly come from godless men or from the world system that is populated by godless men, then I have a big problem with that notion. There are at least two important caveats that should make us exceedingly skeptical about ascribing to God anything we encounter in this world that claims to be real wisdom. First, mankind cast off the wisdom and the truth of God and replaced them with their own pathetic counterfeits. Again, Romans chapter 1, men suppress the truth and unrighteousness and professing to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That's what the world has to offer, is a lie. The world doesn't simply have flawed concepts of wisdom and truth. It has fatally false understandings of wisdom and truth. So don't expect to find either of those things in this world. And the second one that I think Christians often miss is that factual does not equal true. There's a vast difference between that which is factual and that which is true, and there's a vast difference between that which is practical and that which is wise. Ben Franklin's adage, a penny saved is a penny earned, is sensible, shrewd, and practical. But in spite of popular opinion, it is not wise. It is not what the Bible calls wisdom. Wisdom goes way beyond practicality. And wisdom and truth, please hear this, wisdom and truth always have God as their focus. If they don't have God as their focus, they're not wisdom and truth. And so while the world's practicality says a penny saved is a penny earned, the one who is the embodiment of wisdom and truth says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That is wisdom. In those two examples, practicality answers the question, how do I get a lot of pennies? And wisdom answers the question, how do I use all of my pennies and everything else I have to demonstrate that God is my only treasure? Wisdom comes from God and it always has God as its focus. And the same warning that applies to buying into the counterfeit wisdom of the world applies to any supposed wisdom that comes from you. If you're half-hearted 
about submitting your fallen and feeble logic and reason and wisdom to that which God has revealed to you in His Word, then do not expect that you will arrive at real wisdom. Wisdom and foolishness don't coexist any better than light and darkness. (laughs) You cannot cling to the same pride that brought about the spiritual death of all mankind and still expect God to give you the very thing that you are resisting. Many so-called Christians don't invest any significant time at all in actually studying the Bible personally. They don't see the relevance, so they don't go to the trouble. And the reason they don't go to the trouble is because they don't fear God rightly. If God is the only source of real harm and the only source of real good, if God is the only source of real wisdom and of the great blessings that come with obtaining that wisdom, and if the very essence of wisdom is the personal knowledge of God, then how can you possibly set aside His revelation of Himself? God is the only source of genuine wisdom, and so we are completely dependent upon upon Him to grant it to us. That means we pray a lot and it means that we submit ourselves to the wisdom that He alone reveals to us. And it means that we must know His Word because that's where He has made His wisdom available to us to behold. You're not going to find it in the world. But wisdom doesn't come to us passively. Even Solomon, to whom God graciously promised a measure of godly wisdom greater than that of any man who would come before him and any man who would come after him, said to his own son that the acquisition of wisdom demands diligence. In Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 4, Solomon says, My son, if you receive my sayings, treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Cry for discernment. Lift up your voice for understanding. Seek her as silver. Search for her as hidden treasures. These are earnest efforts that fully engage the mind and the heart of man. This is all about going hard after wisdom. Solomon says, seek her as you seek silver. In Solomon's day, just as today, silver was very rarely found in the form of silver nuggets. (laughs) You didn't just happily stumble across pure silver and take it to the bank. The way you got pure silver was through a difficult refining process called smelting. It's been around a very long time. It involves subjecting the compounds in which silver is found to intense heat and introducing other chemicals that separate out the silver from the other metals and minerals in which it's mixed. And even getting to the rock that contains those compounds requires that you go through a whole bunch of useless ore, useless rock, to get to it. King Solomon, being both wealthy and smart, bought purchased refined silver from Tarshish and Arabia after someone else had done all the hard work to get it. But even a rich man cannot buy wisdom. 
even wealthy men have to dig for it themselves. All right, how do you get your hands on wisdom? By doing hard work over a period of time. By the way, wisdom isn't something you inherit. (laughs) Uh, It's interesting in Proverbs 22, 15, it says foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. That's how we start. Wisdom is something you have to go after. All right, so what's the hard work that will get you wisdom? Well, first, in Proverbs 2, verse 1 that we just saw, you have to receive wisdom. You have to receive and treasure the word of God. Solomon says, My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you. Psalm 119, verses 97 to 100, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thy commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, because thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I observe thy precepts. What's the common element in all of those statements that results in wisdom that transcends that of, of, uh, 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 that is found in other people? Uh, it's the Word of God. When the psalmist wrote this, the, the law was the essence of the Word of God that he had available to him. Secondly, Pay attention to the wisdom that you find there. Solomon says, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. How much effort and thought and meditation do you actually invest in obtaining the wisdom that God sets before you in His Word? It won't come to you by osmosis. It's a very active process. Thirdly, pray. Ask God to impart His wisdom to you as you behold it. In verse 3 of chapter 2, cry for discernment. Lift up your voice for understanding. Remember always that God is the source of wisdom, so that makes us entirely dependent upon Him to provide it. And because you're dependent upon God, you go to Him in prayer. Prayer is, is paramount in the gaining of wisdom as it is in all other things. Fourthly, Be diligent and persevere in all of the above. Go after wisdom with all you've got. Seek for her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Again, wisdom is not obtained passively. It is not obtained comfortably any more than finishing a marathon is obtained comfortably. It requires diligence, perseverance, focus, and effort. But it has a huge payoff. Because Solomon says, if you do these things, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the true knowledge of God. And he has a lot more to say about what you get as you pursue wisdom. Wisdom delivers. There are many benefits and protections that come with pursuing wisdom. In Proverbs 2, verses 5 to 10, and I'm just going to go kind of quickly through this list. God will give you His wisdom in abundance as you pursue it. He isn't stingy about it. 
Proverbs 2.5 says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. You think of it like a, a grain silo filled with grain and you just come by and get a few bushels as you need them. But the silo is just filled to overflowing. Secondly, you're not on your own. God says that He will be your shield and your guard to keep you on the path of wisdom. He preserves the way of His godly ones. And as you pursue wisdom, all the important stuff in life makes much more sense. You will discern righteousness and justice and equity and every good course. The wisdom you gain will be pleasant to your soul. Proverbs 2 verse 10. And then in chapter 3, he expands this list. And again, I'll go quickly through these. He says, The profit that you gain by becoming wise is better than silver, and its gain is better than gold. It is more precious than jewels. Nothing that you desire compares with wisdom. Wisdom grants you long life, riches and honor, pleasant ways, Paths of peace. Wisdom is a tree of life. It gives you happiness. It is life to your soul, adornment for your neck, and it makes you to walk securely. And then he says, your foot will not stumble as you become wise. And I love these last two. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Is that what your sleep is like? If not, then perhaps it would serve you well to apply greater diligence to the pursuit of wisdom. On the flip side of the benefits that come with gaining wisdom are the protections that God provides to us as we pursue wisdom. In Proverbs 2, 11 to 22, Solomon gives us another list. He says, it will guard you and watch over you. It will deliver you from the way of evil and from the perversity of men. It will deliver you from the enticements of the adulteress which lead to death. You will walk in the way of good men and keep to the paths of the righteous. You will live and remain in the land. And throughout the Old Testament, remaining in the land means that you get to stay in the place of fellowship with God and of abundant provision from the hand of God. As we diligently pursue godly wisdom by pursuing the personal knowledge of God and self, we are putting on a powerful defense against the temptations and enticements and opposition that we face from the world, the flesh, and the devil. The heart that finds wisdom is the heart that hungers and thirsts to behold God. And to know him. One of my two favorite Psalms is Psalm 16. And I just want to close with these verses because I think this presents to us the heart of the one who becomes wise. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. Thou dost support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. 
I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because He is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For Thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt Thou allow Thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou wilt make known to me the path of life. In Thy presence is fullness of joy. At Thy right hand there are pleasures forever. Dear Father, for many of us these are things that we have observed and known for a long time, but, but Lord, this is the stuff of life. This is so, so foundational to us. And we pray that you will you will use what you have declared about wisdom to mold us, to conform us to yourself, because that's what real wisdom is. It is that we may know you, that we may work out your character in our lives for others to behold. Father, there's so much that we're going to be looking at in this great book that that falls into the category of wisdom applied. And we pray that you would go before us as we do. Lord, we want to be transformed. We don't want to continue to do the things that we've done where where they aren't right. We want to do that which honors and glorifies and magnifies you. Thank you, Father, for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer and our life. It's in his name we pray.